Good morning. Like my tie? Okay, this was made for me personally. I believe it was April Van Wick back the last Sunday. It was on a, the last July 4th. It was on a Sunday, which was 2010. So every 11 years or so I get to wear it. But I love our country. We are celebrating our independence. And so I want to tie this message this morning because it ties in wonderfully into, as Bobby said, we need to be praying for our nation. We all know that. We need to be praying for our nation. It's the greatest nation on earth, founded by God, and we've wandered far from that. So as we look this morning at two truths about God's judgments, I want to tie this into that. I want to leave us in our message today with our nation on our minds as we celebrate these things that we're, we need to be praying that God would turn us back to himself. Amen? I think he's doing that in many ways. So would you stand? I want to read the first uh, 11 verses of 2 Peter chapter 2. We'll actually go through the whole, we'll read the whole thing eventually, but I want to read the first 11. We stand to honor God's word. Two truths about God's judgments. Here we go. 2 Peter 2 verse 1. But there are also false prophets among the people, even as there will be false teachers among you, who will secretly bring in destructive heresies, even denying the Lord who bought them, and bring on themselves swift destruction. And many will follow their destructive ways because of the way of truth will be blasphemed. By covetousness, they will exploit you with deceptive words. For a long time, their judgment has not been idle, and their destruction does not slumber. For if God, verse 4, did not spare the angels who sinned, but cast them down to hell and delivered them into chains of darkness to be reserved for judgment, and did not spare the ancient world, but saved Noah, one of eight people, a preacher of righteousness, bringing in the flood of the world on the world of the ungodly, and turning the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah into ashes, condemned them to destruction, making them an example to those who afterward would, afterward would, leave, would live ungodly, and delivered righteous Lot, who was oppressed, vexed, by the filthy conduct of the wicked, for that righteous man dwelling among them tormented his righteous soul from day to day by seeing and hearing their lawless deeds. Then the Lord knows how to deliver the godly out of, out of temptations and to reserve the unjust under punishment for the day of judgment, and especially those who walk according to the flesh in the lust of uncleanness and despise authority. They are presumptuous, Self-willed, they are not afraid to speak evil of dignitaries, whereas angels who are greater in power and might do not bring a reviling accusation against them before the Lord. So, Father, here we are. We're here to, we're, we're here to hear the word. We want the Lord to hear from you. We, we know that faith comes by hearing, hearing by the word of God. Lord, these are, these are tough things. Judgment. And how, Lord, we want to understand in our own minds and hearts, who you are, what you've told us, believe it, live according to it, and not transgress from it. So I pray as the message goes out here, the things I've prepared, you break them fresh, feed us, we're hungry. You would bind the evil one who wants to come against every truth with deception and lies, and grant us, Lord, ears to hear, not just to hear it, but hear under it. Submit our lives, our minds, all of these to your truth that we might grow in it. We ask these things in Jesus' name, amen. You can be seated. So, Precious Faith is kind of the title of the whole series here in 2 Peter. 
Last week, we looked at 10 truths about false teachers. So the whole idea there in what we read, where there is the prophetic word, there will be false prophets. Count on it. Secondly, where there is the way of truth, there will be false teachers. Count on it. So behind all these fleshly, abominable things that lurk, lurks the devil himself, we are in a spiritual battle to live the truth. Know it and live it. That serpent of old is in continual opposition to God's word and God's ways. May we be reminded of that continuously in this battle to live truth. Next week, we're going to look at three truths about God's promises. So you can read that and see if you can find them. They're right there. This morning, two truths about God's judgment. They are this. Number one, God reserves the ungodly under judgment. God does that. It is God who did not spare them. It is God who condemned and punished them to destruction and hell. I said it. God said it. Secondly, God delivered, past tense, the godly out of judgment, as we looked this morning. In other words, it is God who saved them from destruction and death, and we all say, who know the gospel, amen. It is God who delivered the godly out of judgment. So, these are not my words. These are the truths that God's given to us in his word. So, I'm just the messenger of the gospel of Jesus Christ, of the word of God which saves and delivers those who receive the gospel, receive Christ. The message also, it leaves a person condemned in their sin when rejected. There are only two options, to receive Christ as Savior or to reject him and be condemned to, to death and hell. That's not my, that, I'm the messenger what God said. It's almost like you don't know how to say amen to that one, but that's the truth. And we need to understand that and understand God's judgment is real. It's true. So as we look at this this morning, Jesus said in John chapter, um, this is a reminder, many of us, if not all of us, know this verse, John 3, 16, but let's take it. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have everlasting life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. He who believes in him is not condemned, but he who does not believe is condemned already because he has not believed in the name of the only begotten son of God. He continues. And this is the condemnation, that light has come into the world, that is Jesus, and men love darkness rather than light because their deeds were evil. For everyone practicing evil hates the light and does not come to the light, lest his deeds should be exposed. But he who does the truth comes to the light, that his deeds may be clearly seen that they have been done in God. Now, according to an old legend, a man became lost in his travels and wandered into a bed of quicksand. Confucius saw the man's predicament and said, it is evident that men should stay out of places such as this. Next, Buddha observed the situation and said, let that man's plight be a lesson to the rest of the world. Then Mohammed came by and said to the sinking man, alas, it is the will of God. Finally, Jesus appeared, take my hand, brother. He said, I will save you. That's the difference. Amen? 
That's the truth. Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. Two truths that cause a great divide. Now, in Matthew chapter 10, Jesus said, A disciple is not above his teacher, nor a servant above his master. It is enough for a disciple to be like his teacher and his servant like his master. If they call the master of the house Beelzebub, how much more will they call those of his household? Therefore, do not fear them, for there is nothing covered that will not be revealed and hidden that will not be known. Whatever I tell you in in the dark, speak in the light, and what you hear in the ear, preach on the housetops. Truth. And do not fear those who kill the body, but cannot kill the soul. But rather fear him, capital H, that is God, who is able to destroy both soul and body in hell. Now, are not two sparrows sold for a copper corn, and not one of them falls to the ground apart from your father's will? But the very hairs of your head are all numbered. Do not fear, therefore, you are more value than many sparrows. God loves you. He loves me. But there is a judgment because of sin. God provided for the forgiveness of our sins through Christ. That's the truth. Jesus is saying, declare it. Preach it. God will judge. Therefore, whoever confesses me before men, him I will also confess before my Father in heaven. But whoever denies me before men, him I will also deny before my Father in heaven. So Jesus is putting it very clearly. Would you say amen to that? Confess Jesus Christ and you will be saved. That's fantastic. That's the gospel. That's the good news. God's provided for us. We receive him. We repent. We come to the cross. We say, I'm a sinner. I need your forgiveness, God. And God, through Christ, sending him to die on the cross. If God so loved us when we were sinners and enemies and ungodly, how much more now in receiving his love do we understand this incredible truth? God loves me. God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. These are truths. Matthew chapter 10. Do not think, Jesus said, that I came to bring peace on the earth. I did not come to bring peace, but a sword. For I have come come to set a man against his father, a daughter against her mother, a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law, and a man's enemies will be those of his own household. He who loves father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. And he who loves son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. And he who does not take his cross and follow after me is not worthy of me. He who finds his life will lose it, and he who loses his life for my sake will find it. That's the change. That's the difference. That's the gospel. That's the truth. How are you doing? See, we're talking about God. We're talking about his love. We're talking about him giving to us the truth. He's not trying to dupe us, play little games with us. He is right up front with us. This is what he's done for you, for me. And he says, if you'll just believe those things and begin to exercise your your will in, in, in harmony with my will for your life, you will find life. You will find it abundantly. That's what I promise you through the power of the Holy Spirit, through the salvation, through life given. And I'm getting excited. Now, God reserves the ungodly under judgment. It is God who did not spare them. It is God who condemned and punished them to destruction and hell. Those are hard words. But friends, it's the truth. It's God. Holy God. For a long time, verse 3, their judgment has not been idle and the destruction does not slumber. Listen, it is possible to exhaust 
the patience and long-suffering of God. That's sobering. He is not slack concerning his promise, but is long-suffering, not willing that any should perish. But it's a choice that we must make. This little poem puts it in a good light. There is a line we know not when, a line we know not where, that marks the destiny of men twixt sorrow and despair. There is a line, though by men unseen, once it has been crossed, even God himself and all his love has sworn that all is lost. Sobering, but that's the truth. There comes a time when God's judgment falls. There comes a time when this life is over. It's appointed unto men to die once, and then the judgment. Now, in the Greek, in Peter here, verses 4 through 9 are one sentence. It's the long, one of the longest in the New Testament. So, God reserves the ungodly under judgment. The angels who sinned is his first example. He did not spare the angels who sinned, but cast them down to hell and delivered them into chains of darkness to reserve for judgment. Now, this word hell is Tartarus, which is only used one time in the Bible here. It means gloomy dungeons. It means special place of confinement. So it seems to be a place where fallen angels are being incarcerated. Some believe that these are angels who are so bad that God has them chained there for man's sake. But they will be released for a short time during the Great Tribulation. Incarcerated. God did it. In the book of Revelation, which we're studying on Wednesday nights, bottomless pit is referred to seven times. Again, these are mysterious things that we read about. In Revelation 9, then the fifth angel sounded. And I saw a star fall from heaven to the earth. To him was given the key to the bottomless pit. And he opened the bottomless pit and smoke arose out of the pit like the smoke of a great furnace. And then these scorpions come out of the bottomless pit. In Revelation chapter 11, this beast ascends out of the bottomless pit, the Antichrist. In Revelation chapter 7, this beast that he saw will ascend out of the bottomless pit. We're going to find he's then incarcerated again for a thousand years during the millennial kingdom on earth. And then at the end of that time, he's released again. And here's the amazing, incredible, like blow your mind kind of a thing. After a thousand years of Jesus ruling and reigning on earth with a rod of iron, perfect righteousness, all these things, as God releases out of the bottomless pit a whole army of humans rebels against God. The problem is not God. The problem is the heart of man. There are a lot of mysterious things about these angels, these fallen angels. In Isaiah 14, it says, You are fallen from heaven, O Lucifer, son of the morning. So something happened. Ezekiel chapter 28, another chapter. I remember by Isaiah 14 times 2, Ezekiel 28. <laughs> Talks about, the, about Lucifer. The word of the Lord came to me. Who is perfect. Walked in the, along the coals of heaven. And he was, I believe, the worship leader in heaven. Instead, he started to trade. The word trading. So as he's leading the worship, if that's what's going on, my under, best I can understand it. As he's leading worship, he says, 
oh, I'd like a little of that glory for me. And so it says, until iniquity was found in your heart, and then you were cast out. This Lucifer, son of the morning, until iniquity was found in you. Revelation, again, it tells us his tail drew a third of the stars of heaven. So something happened with this beast, this angel, whatever it is. Luke chapter 10, interesting. The 70 returned with joy. Jesus sent them out. Lord, even the demons are subject to us in your name. And he said to them, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. Behold, I give you the, the authority to trample on serpents and scorpions and over all the power of the enemy, and nothing shall be any, by any means hurt you. Nevertheless, do not rejoice in this. Look, that's, that's all cool. But you got to understand something. You would have no chance if it wasn't for me and your, my, your salvation. He said, do not rejoice in this that the spirits are subject, but rather rejoice because your names are written in heaven. I say amen to that. That's what we rejoice in. And we have to be careful when dabbling in these areas of demonic influence and demonic powers and demonic event. You got to be careful on that stuff. Stay away from it. God said that. Don't go near this, this soothsayer. Just stay away. And that's always, always keep God between you and whatever. These demonic things. The ancient world of the ungodly, verse 5. He did not spare the ancient world. But saved Noah, one of eight people. A preacher of righteous bringing in the flood of the world, world on, of the ungodly. God judged the world through the flood. You know the story. God waited a long, long time, but nothing changed. It just got worse and worse. Finally said, man's given over to it. I'm going to destroy the world. But he saved Noah. So he did not spare the world. God did that. The cities of Sodom and Gomorrah. We know these stories very well. Look, let's read verse 6. And turning the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah into ashes, notice, condemned them to destruction, making them an example to those who afterward would live, how? Ungodly. Apart from God. Rebellion against God. And delivered righteous Lot, who, who was oppressed by the filthy conduct of the wicked. For that righteous man dwelling among them tormented his righteous soul from day to day by seeing and hearing the lawless. Now, I tell you, I can relate to that in our day. It's the vexing when you see the unrighteousness and the lawlessness that's going on. But listen, behind that, there is demonic powers seeking to ruin your life. We can't play around with these things. God condemned it these, with fire and brimstone from heaven. Destroyed the cities and those who lived in them. Verse 9, the unjust. Then the Lord knows how to deliver the godly out of, of temptation and to reserve the unjust under punishment for the day of judgment. God knows he's doing it. God, though, also delivered the godly out of judgment. It is God who saved them from destruction and death. Number one, Noah. You know the story. God saved Noah on the ark with his family through the flood, through the judgment. In Hebrews chapter 11, it says, By faith Noah, being divinely warned of things not yet seen, moved with what? Godly fear. Prepared an ark for the saving of his household by which he condemned the world and became heir of the righteousness which is according to faith. Noah knew God. Noah obeyed God. Noah did what God told him to do. He delivered Lot. This is an interesting guy. Delivered righteous Lot who was oppressed by the filthy conduct 
tormented his righteous soul day to day. Now, God delivered Lot from the judgment. This man Lot, as we read about his life, we'd say, well, that guy was weak and worldly. Because we find in his, the chronicles of his life, he looked towards Sodom. Next we find he pitched his tent towards Sodom. Next he moved to Sodom. And the next thing you read, he's actually sitting in the gates and authority in the city of Sodom. You think, wow. But then we read the testimony here. In all of that, for whatever was going on, his soul was vexed. And God gives attention to that for us. His story of deliverance is interesting because Abraham interceded for Sodom. Lord, if you find 50 righteous, well, let's look at it. Genesis chapter 18. Abraham stood still before the Lord, and Abraham came near and said, Would you also destroy the righteous with the wicked? Suppose there are 50 righteous within the city. Would you also destroy the place and not spare it for the 50 righteous that were in it? So Abraham's interceding for Sodom and Gomorrah. He said, if you find 50 righteous, I'll spare it for 50. And then the countdown begins. 45, I'll spare it. 40, I'll spare it. 30, I'll spare it. 20, I'll spare it. 10, I'll spare it. And that's where his intercession stopped. How many were actually taken out of the city? Four. One of them got partway out. Lot's wife. She looked back. The idea is she longed toward that. And then God actually had to drag Lot out of the city. He delivered, but he had to drag him out of that. So that's fascinating to me. In this sense, there's no one perfect. We make choice. We find ourselves here or there. But what's going on in our souls? What's happening there? Lot loved his family, whatever was going on there. And God, but God did that because God saw past some of these things that we can't see past. In fact, he moved past some things that we can't move past sometimes. God is faithful. God delivers, and he knows what he's doing. So as this intercession goes on, God spared even less than 10, Lot being one of them. Now, verse 9, it says, Then the Lord knows how to deliver the godly out of temptations. I want to come back to this. And to reserve the unjust under punishment for the day of judgment, and especially those. Now, I want to stop here and just kind of go through another list. Because here we have God reserves the ungodly under judgment. It's God who did not spare them. It is God who condemned and punished them to destruction and hell. Now, I, Peter's continued focus on these ungodly, false teachers who are flagrantly, arrogantly, knowingly, and willfully unrepentant in their sin-filled lives and would seduce God's people to follow their destructive ways. Peter focused on this, and he says, in a sense, woe to them and woe to those who follow them. So let's look at this a moment. He just gives some more details, some more things to consider about these false teachers. We looked at 10 last week. They are selfish, sensual, and high-minded. Verse 10. 
especially those who walk according to the flesh in the lust of uncleanness, despise authority. They are presumptuous, self-willed. They're not afraid to speak evil of dignitaries, whereas angels who are greater in power and might do not bring a violent accusation against them before the Lord. They are selfish, sensual, and high-minded. They're arrogant. They might come across and say, but this is what Peter's saying. That's where they're coming from. Why? Because they're in rebellion against God. They're scornful. Senseless. Now, originally I had the word stupid there. But, well, what they're doing, they don't even know. I mean, how, how do you go about that? Uh, and they're out of their minds. Verse, these are like natural beasts made to be caught and destroyed, speak evil of things they do not understand, and will utterly perish in their own corrupt. So they scorn these powers far greater than them. They say that things like, that, that, that they're, 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 they got the power. Speaking against these, they, they mock these demonic powers against which they have no chance. We cannot be playing around with these things. They're nothing to, they're nothing to mess with. It should make us shake in fear, not in the sense of insecurity, but understanding, God, you need to take care of these things. It makes me uncomfortable when some teacher begins sticking out his tongue at the devil, mocking him. Men never do evil so completely and cheerfully, as when they do it from religious conviction. When, my, when men stop worshiping God, they promptly start worshiping man with disastrous results. God is to be worshiped. God is to be feared. God is the center of what we do. They are shameless and clueless. And, they, and when we see, verse 13... We receive the wage of unrighteousness as those who count the pleasure to, to carouse in the daytime. Shameless. What normally be done at night, they do, they do in broad daylight. They are spots and blemishes carousing in their own deceptions while they feast with you. They're clueless as far as what's going on. Why follow these? They are unfaithful and dangerous. Verse 14. Having eyes full of adultery. They cannot cease from sin. Enticing, unstable souls. They are dangerous and they're unfaithful. They are practiced in covetousness. Verse 14, they have a heart trained in covetous practice. In other words, that word trained is like an athlete preparing for the marathon. They are, they are skilled going through whatever they have to, spending their time and energy to learn and become good at getting what they want and how to use people like last week we looked at, exploit people. They are, they have become, they are accursed children. Wow. They have forsaken the right way and gone astray. Verse 15, following the way of Balaam, the son of Beor, who loved the wages of unrighteousness, greed. But he was rebuked for his iniquity. A dumb donkey speaking with a man's voice restrained the madness of the prophet. They're mad <laughs> in an insane sort of way. That's another interesting story. 
Now, these are wells without water, clouds carried by a tempest, for whom is reserved the blackness of darkness forever. They are empty and they are powerless. They're blown about. They have nothing to offer. They cannot deliver on their promises. Let's keep going. I know this is kind of an ugly list, but here we go. Verse 18. For when they speak great swelling words of emptiness, they allure through the lust of the flesh, through lewdness, which is sexual immorality, the ones who have actually escaped from those who live in error. Here's what I see in here. They're entertaining. They're alluring. Jesus did not sell tickets to see him feed the 5,000. Peter was not promoting feed my sheep seminars. It's hard to imagine Paul the entertainer. But I'll say this. Too often we've tried to bring ministry, music, and entertainment together and in so doing, we've lost the integrity of the true meaning of the church. God help us. It's not about entertainment. It's not about celebrities. It's about God who sits on the throne. It's about his people who he has given to us the, the important responsibility to love each other and care for each other. It's about God getting us over the finish line, finishing our race with joy. It's, a, it's so many things, but it's not entertainment. Now, here's the final one that I want to take off to finish. These false teachers are again entangled and overcome. And this is the warning. This is the danger. While they promise them liberty, they themselves are slaves of corruption. For by whom a person is overcome, by him also he is brought into bondage. For if after they have escaped the pollutions of the world, notice, through the knowledge of the Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, they're again entangled in them and overcome, the latter end is worse for them than the beginning. For it would have been better for them not to have known the way of righteousness than having known it to turn, notice, where? To turn from the holy commandment delivered to them. The word of God. But it happened to them according to the true proverb. A dog to, returns to his own vomit. And a sow having washed to her wallowing in the mire. They are deceived. It seems about their own salvation. They either were never saved. Or they lost their salvation. I'm not going there right now. That's for you to wrestle through. But what I am, where I am going is, listen. Peter is warning us. He's warning us. He's saying there are false teachers who will lead us into these same lives of debauchery and sin, and rebelling against God, and overcome again by the very things that Jesus came to set us free from. He's warning us. He's saying, do not listen to their destructive heresies. He's saying, verse 1, do not follow their destructive ways. 
Because that's what's going to happen. They'll destroy you. He's saying, verse 3, do not be exploited by their deceptive words. We need to be so discerning. And my question is this. When I'm thinking about it, is it the word of God? Is this according to the word of God? Is this what God has said? Or the way you're interpreting that, is that what it really means? It would have been better for them, but they turned from the commandment of the Lord. They turned from the word of God. It's a warning to us. God reserves the ungodly under judgment. It's God who did not spare them. It's God who condemned and punished them to destruction of hell. God delivered the godly out of judgment. It is God who saved them from the destruction and death. Who? Noah, Lot, and the godly. But notice this. This This is an important point, which is where I'm going to close my sermon here. It doesn't say, then the Lord knows how to deliver the godly out of judgment. It doesn't say that. It says, the Lord knows how to deliver the godly out of what? Temptation. Because God delivered us from judgment. But now we're living in a world, and we can be hearing so many voices. And what are those voices saying? And what am I doing? How am I living my life? Is it according? Am I turning from the commandment of the Lord? Or am I embracing the word of God and seeking to live my life accordingly? So with these things in mind, Peter is saying, Resist temptations to sin against God by catering to your fleshly sinful desires in order to please yourself. Live to please God. He's saying resist the temptation to fashion God in your image or some person's image as you would like him to be. But take hold in your mind, in your heart, in my mind, in my heart, Who has God revealed himself to be? Whether I like it or not, you can't change that, but to your detriment. He is who he said he is. He will judge. He will make things right. In other words, worship God. When we sing songs, worship God intentionally. Submit to God with all your heart. No matter how difficult it might be, no matter how, what a battle is, submit to God. Love God with all your heart. Love him more like Jesus. He who loves father, mother, he said, you love God supremely. Whatever it takes. Make no compromises with sin. A little leaven leavens the whole lump. A little sin is silent, it's insidious, but it will take over if left unchecked. Dear believer, God delivered you from judgment. And now he's saying, you will be tempted in many ways. Submit to God. Worship God. Love God. Don't be entangled again and overcome by the very things that God set you free from. And if necessary, then do it again, and do it again, and do it again. Do what again? Repent. Come back to the cross. Bring it to God and say to him, you're right, I'm wrong. I I repent. And I believe as we're thinking about this area, I want to go through some scriptures with you. How are we doing here? 
I, I want to read through some of these because they're so important as far as tying this in not only to our own lives, but then our nation. Our nation. I think it's noteworthy that Peter uses the same two men as examples that Jesus used. Noah and Lot. In Luke chapter 17, and it it was, as it was in the days of Noah, so it will be in the days of the Son of Man. They ate, they drank, they married wives, they were given in marriage until the day that Noah entered the ark, and the flood came and destroyed them all. Likewise, as it was in the days of Lot, They ate, they drank, they bought, and they sold. They planted, they built. But on the day that Lot went out of Sodom, it rained fire and brimstone from heaven and destroyed them all. Even so, Jesus said, will it be in the day when the Son of Man is revealed? Verse 31. In that day, he was on on the housetop. On that day, he was on the housetop and his goods are in the house. Let him not come down to take them away. And likewise, the one who is in the field, let him not turn back. Remember Lot's wife. Whoever seeks to save his life will lose it. Whoever loses his life will preserve it. I tell you, in that night, there will be two men in one bed. The one will be taken, the other left. Two men will be grinding together. The one will be taken, the other left. Two men will be in the field. The one will be taken, the other left. And they answered and said, to him, where, Lord? So he said to them, wherever the body is, there the eagles will be gathered together. That's a very, like, what what is that supposed to mean? I'll give you the commentary, the Bible knowledge commentary on this. I I think it's, it's helpful. Disciples question where these people would be taken. Jesus' cryptic answer, where there's a dead body, there the vultures will be, will, will gather. Has been interpreted variously. It seems best to understand that Jesus reaffirming that these people would be taken into judgment. Much as a dead body causes vultures to gather on it, so dead people are consigned to judgment if they are not ready for the kingdom. For the kingdom, it's a warning, a sobering. Revelation chapter nineteen, one of the goes cross reference. I saw an angel standing in the sun, and he cried with a loud voice, saying to all the birds that fly in the midst of heaven, come and gather together for the supper of the great God, that you may eat the flesh of kings, the flesh of captains, the flesh of mighty men, the flesh of horses and those who sit on them, and the flesh of all people, free and slave, both small and great. That's when the judgment of God comes. This is pretty encouraging, isn't it? (laughs) 1 Corinthians chapter 10. Moreover, brethren, I do, do not want you to be unaware that all our fathers were under the cloud, all passed through the sea, all were baptized into Moses in the cloud and in the sea, all ate the same spiritual food, all drank the same spiritual drink, for they drank of that spiritual rock that followed them, and that rock was Christ. They had the same experience. But with most of them, God was not well pleased, for their bodies were scattered in the wilderness. Now, these things became an example to the intent that we should not lust after evil things as they also lusted. And do not become idolaters as were some of them. As it is written, the people sat down to eat and drink and rose up to play. Nor let us commit sexual immorality as some of them did. And in one day, 23,000 fell. Nor let us tempt Christ as some of them also tempted and were destroyed by serpents. Nor complain as some of them also complained and were destroyed by the destroyer. Now, all these things happened to them as examples And they were written for our admonition upon whom the ends of the ages have come. Therefore, let him who thinks he stands, let's take heed lest he fall. No temptation is overtaking you, but such as is common to man, but God is faithful. 
who will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you are able, but will with the temptation also make a way of escape that you may be able to bear it. God will make a way. God will do that. 2 Corinthians chapter 6. Do not be unequally yoked with the unbelievers, for what fellowship has righteousness with lawlessness? And what communion has light with darkness? And what accord has Christ with Belial? Or what part has a believer with an unbeliever? And what agreement has the temple of God with idols? For you are the temple of the living God. As God has said, I will dwell in them and walk among them. I will be their God and they shall be my people. Therefore, come out from among them and be separate, says the Lord. Do not touch what is unclean and I will receive you. I will be a father to you and you shall be my sons and daughters, says the Lord Almighty. Again, this, this is a lot of truth, a lot, a lot of but take this, just take this in as God's saying, you got to be warned. Don't go that way. Don't listen to these deceptions. Don't follow these false teachers and these false teachings that tickle the ears and make you feel good. What has God said? What has God given to us in his word as examples to us for our admonition to say, I'm not going there. Sexual immorality, I'm not going there. Idolatry, I'm not going to fashion God in what I'd like to be. I need to know him for who he really is. And do, live my life according to who he, who he said he is, not who I wish he was. That's idolatry. James blesses man who endures temptation. For when he has been approved, he received the crown of life, which the Lord has promised to those who love him. Let no one say when he's tempted, I'm tempted by God. For God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he himself tempt anyone. But each man is tempted when he's drawn away by his own what? Lust and enticed. And then when lust is conceived, it gives birth to sin. And when sin is full grown, it brings forth death. That's the, that's the pattern. That's what happens. Do not be deceived, my beloved brethren. May God help us by his Holy Spirit. Final one, 1 John. We know that whoever is born of God does not sin, meaning they don't practice sin. Let's get that clear. They're not practicing sin. Their lifestyles have changed. They're living their lives as best as they can in obedience to God. But he who has been born of God keeps himself, and the wicked one does not touch him. It keeps himself. In other words, there's a responsibility we have to follow God, to give ourselves over to our minds, our hearts, our souls, our wills. Say, God, what would you have me to do? God, what is your will? How do I live this out? How do I do what you're calling me to do? How do I reject these things that are tempting me toward evil? We know that we are of God, and the whole world lies under the sway of the wicked. We have an adversary. And we know that the Son of God has come and has given us an understanding that we may know him who is true. We are in him who is true, in his Son, Jesus Christ. This is the true God and eternal life. And then he ends with this little sentence, little children, keep yourselves from idols. Amen. So I want to close this July 4th Sunday service and draw us to a place of worshiping God couple personal thoughts. First of all, I love my country. I love my country. A nation that was founded under God. That's why it was great. That's why it is great. But we have lost our way. We've forgotten God. We've forsaken God. And when I see the evils that are going on right now, I'm surprised the fire and brims don't have it already come. When I see what's going on in Olympia with our children, I'm, I'm surprised it hasn't already come. 
I've got to be careful here because I could get off on a list. But listen, we are not immune from the judgment of God. God will judge. He judged Israel. What happened through the judgment? He, clear, he, he ridded idolatry. And when you look at the basis of, that's why Paul says that, John says that, idolatry is fashioning God in the image that I think he should be, that I want him to be, and not who he really is. Therefore, we have preachers saying, don't worry about hell, there is none. You gotta be careful again, I'm gonna get off on the list. The Declaration of Independence, July 4th, listen, 1776. We hold these truths to be self-evident, that all men are created equal, that they are endowed by their creator with certain unalienable rights, that among these are life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness, that to secure these rights, governments are instituted among men, deriving their just powers from the consent of the governed, that whenever any form of government becomes destructive of these ends, it is the right of the people to alter or to abolish it, unquote. Oh, well, almost. And is a new government laying its foundation on such principles and organizing its powers in such form as to them shall seem most likely to affect their safety and happiness. On June 21st, 1778, the Constitution became the official framework. This is, this is my writing. Uh, uh, the Constitution became the official framework of the government of the USA when New Hampshire became the ninth of 13 states to ratify it. The journey to ratification, however, was a long and arduous process. Until the new Constitution was ratified, the country was governed by the Articles of Confederation. Here's the preamble to the Constitution, which was ratified on June 21, 1788. We, the people of the United States, in order to form a more perfect union, establish justice, ensure domestic tranquility, provide for the common defense, promote the general welfare, and secure the blessings of liberty to ourselves and our posterity, do ordain and establish this Constitution for the United States of America. Now, here's something that I used to say every day in school. I pledge allegiance to the flag of the United States of America and to the republic for which it stands, one nation under God, indivisible, with liberty and justice for all, every day. Now, I'm saying these things not because our nation is actually that anymore, but this is the founding of our nation. These are the things that God blessed. Him, us, under him, under God. So, brothers and sisters, I want to close this message to say we need to pray for our nation today. I believe it is still the greatest nation on earth. Our chief enemy is not China. It's sin. It's forgetting God. It's forsaking God. God reserves the ungodly for judgment. God delivered the godly out of judgment. That is his church. And if we aren't praying for our nation and standing up for our nation, would you stand with me? Because I've asked Sophia to close us in, in a song, but I want to pray. Sophia, come on out. So, Lord, we just lift our hearts to you. Me, my hands, if you want to lift yours too. 
He's saying, Lord, have mercy on our nation. Restore again. Lord, I am so, I am encouraged, actually, by the number of people that we're seeing sort of rising up now, standing up because of the evil, because of the things that have been going on, and wanting, Lord, to see you move among us again. So, Lord, we are praying, interceding for the United States of America, our country. We're asking you, Lord, if my people call me and will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, and you would hear from heaven, and you would heal our land. And, Lord, I must confess, as many of us probably say, we're not sure it's gone too far. We don't know, but we're praying that you would have mercy on us. Please. Be able to pour out of your Holy Spirit in blessing our country, in restoring our (laughs) liberties, God-given. Whatever's coming, Lord, we want to be prepared and ready to shout, to continue to live the truth and speak the truth and preach the gospel until such time as we know We believe it's very short. You're going to come again. We love you, Lord. Bless the day as we're celebrating this thing that happened 200 plus years ago. An amazing, amazing experiment that's turned out to be one of the greatest, if not the greatest government formed on earth. Well, secondary to the (laughs) theocracy where you're ruling reign. And Jesus, we're... We're looking forward to that day when you will come again. Not going to be pretty. Not going to be easy. A lot of death and destruction as you come and deal with your enemies and make right the world and sit on a throne in Jerusalem for a thousand years. But Lord, we're praying, prepare us for such a time as this. Call us to your throne room hour by hour to pray. Stir us, Lord, as we see the things that are going on, to come to you and your throne of grace to obtain mercy, find grace to help in time of need. Lord, help us to continue in prayer, continue in prayer, continue in prayer, continue in your word, continue receiving these things, Lord, that you might be able to take whatever time you've given to us. We can fight the good fight of faith, lay hold on eternal life, finish our race with joy that you set before us, looking unto you, the author and finisher of our faith. In Jesus' name, amen. So I've asked Sophia, it's called the Battle Hymn of the